So my name is Joe, and I think my favorite shape is a circle. And that's all you need to know about me. So um, our reading today comes from Mark 13, and it's a fun passage. So let's do this. Okay. So as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and they'll deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. And these are the beginnings of the birth pangs. But you must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. But the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And all men will hate you because of me but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect if possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have promised to shake the heavens and the earth. We pray that today you would start a work of shaking everything that is in us that is not of you away from us, Lord. That only you and your unshakable kingdom may remain in us. So Lord, today speak to us. For it's not the words of any preacher we need to hear, but it's your words. For the words of a preacher are simply human words, but your words are the words of life. So, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to you today, and let us hear your voice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So Chris asked me to preach a few weeks ago because he said he was going to be out of town at a conference in Delaware. And he wasn't going to have time to invest in the sermon in quite the way he hoped. And I believed Chris. And then I opened my Bible to see the passage he asked me to preach on. And I start to get a little suspicious because what do I see? Well, I see, it's not up there, okay, I see wars. I see rumors of wars. I see famines. I see earthquakes. I see the church getting persecuted and killed. I see brother betraying brother to death. I see parents betraying children to death and children are turning the favor. I see pregnant women possibly having to flee in winter. I see the sun going dark at midday, the moon not giving its light, the stars falling from the sky, and the heavenly bodies being shaken. <laughs> yeah, and I start to think, you know, if a pastor wanted to avoid a text to preach on, don't you think it might look a lot like this? And if that were Chris's thought process, I'm not sure any of us could like justly blame him. Because if we're honest, when's the last time any of us used Mark 13 as part of our devotional? <laughs> I can tell you the last time most of us probably used Mark 13 as part of our devotional. Never. I have Googled most popular devotional passages and simply most popular verses. Mark 13 does not make it into the top 500. Like, they have a list. It's not in there. And I started to think, like, why? Why isn't this passage in there? And, I mean, it's a really, really strange thing. You know, the passages we use for devotionals, it's more like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. By the time you get to verse 4 of Psalm 23... You are ready to fall asleep. Mark 13 ain't like that. Mark 13 has sort of the opposite effect. It's more like that annoying alarm clock that gets you up in the morning, but you hit snooze. But the problem is it's in the Bible, so it just keeps coming up, and you keep having to hear it. But this really does great against our sensibilities. It talks about everything getting shaken and, stirred, shaken and destroyed. And I mean, I wonder, if, if Jesus were running for president, and this were his stump speech. How many people would vote for him? I'll tell you how many people would vote for him. Nobody. Is this all right? It's good? Yeah, nobody would vote for him. But the thing is, you don't even have to go to the wider American electorate with its mix of like believers and unbelievers to find resistance to Jesus' message. Just imagine if Jesus came in here this morning, right? And this were his sermon to us. I can just imagine how some of us, or most of us, or all of us might react. While he's going on about everything, I think, you know, we'd cast glances at each other and be like, what is up with this guy? And then if we were bold enough, we'd take him aside at the end and we'd say, you know, Jesus, um, thank you for the sermon. Very interesting ideas. <laughs> but you see, um, we're not sure this is quite a word on target. Do you really understand the people you're talking to? Because this is America. You talk about everything getting shaken and destroyed, but we have a whole Department of Homeland Security devoted to making sure that that sort of stuff just doesn't happen. So, Jesus, we actually orient ourselves in quite a different direction. Um, we have things called five-year plans. These are things we use for our families. We plan to get married and have children. Uh, we have 
10-year plans. We use these for our careers. We get degrees, we network, we advance up the social ladder. Or, and this is really cool, Jesus, 30-year plans for retirement. Now, there are these things called 401ks, Roth IRAs, and mutual funds, very complicated. They didn't exist in the first century. But you put money aside in them, and after you know a few decades, you get some peace and quiet. You get to chill out. So, Jesus, this whole idea that the world is heading towards this goal, that, every, that the world's last night is just going to be spent in the midst of famine and darkness and sword, that's not really for us. Um, you see, we have a way of getting our peace. So we don't know if we exactly need this message. We have our security. We have our stability. But then I picture Jesus just looking back at us. And he'd pose to us the probing question. But do you really have any of that? Or do you just have the illusion of it? Because you can make your plans. You can carry them out. You can execute them. You can accomplish them and feel like you're successful and you don't have need of anything. But the truth is, anything you make, anything any human being can make is part of a fragile, shakable kingdom. And there's only one kingdom that's going to last forever. So I think the question that Jesus might invite us to ask ourselves today is this. In whose kingdom are you investing? If you know anything about the stock market, it's that the long-term view is crucial. Because in the short term, you're not guaranteed much. You're just guaranteed the market will go up, the market will go down. There will be periods of stability, followed by periods of volatility. So you really need to have confidence that if you put in your investment now, you give it a few decades and you'll eventually get a return. We have this idea that in the long run it can guarantee us some sort of security. But then, why are we so sure about that? Why are we so confident? Well, we're confident that the stock market is plugged into a system, a bigger system, a broader system that's also fundamentally stable. So the nation in which the stock market is based, it's also a fundamentally stable entity. Or insofar as our investments are tied to you know, other nations and trade deals, well, our relationships with those nations aren't going to be disturbed by wars and rumors of wars, that we're not going to do anything rash to destroy the business deals we've made, but instead that over the long term, all this is going to work out to our benefit. And yet Jesus' message today gives us pause. Because he says, you think you're in a fundamentally stable system that can indefinitely guarantee your security and stability. But that's a lie. Because there will be one day when everything falls apart. And there's only one kingdom that's going to last forever. And when you take the real long-term view, the longest long-term view you can possibly take, there's only one kingdom in which your investment is 100% safe and secure. And there are all these other investments you can make, but if they're not tied somehow to that ultimate kingdom, well, when you get to that ultimate kingdom, those investments are going to turn out to be worthless or less than worthless. And then we're going to be stuck asking ourselves some uncomfortable questions. We're going to ask ourselves why. 
Why did we invest in those things that ultimately were valueless? And the answers that can come might make us uncomfortable because then we'll realize, I did that only for my comfort. I did that only for my security or stability. I did that only to show up other people. I did it only because I feared something bad would happen. And yet Jesus is telling us it doesn't matter how impressive the system is around you. Don't be fooled. There's only one kingdom that's unshakable. When the disciples come out of the temple with Jesus, one of them just admires the temple building, its majesty, its beauty, its greatness. And this was a really impressive building in the first century. It's still impressive today. You can see some of its remains. I mean, this thing was 80 feet high. That's higher than the nave of Duke Chapel. If you don't want to know what a nave is, it's like the middle part. I had to look it up too. But I mean, these stones were huge. Some of them were 40 feet long. They weighed tons and tons. And architecturally, this was a symbol of stability and security. Is this all right? Am I doing it wrong? Okay. All right, so architecturally, this building. Even beyond the architectural part, it's hard for us to, us to understand just how central this building was to Jews in the first century. It was more central to their national identity than the White House is to ours. Many of their hearts were more closely bound up with the temple than our hearts were ever bound up with the World Trade Center because for them, this place was the dwelling place of God on earth. It wasn't just a church where you, like a church where you'd go and you'd worship and you'd leave. This was the constantly abiding, dwelling presence of God with his people. So if anything was supposed to last forever, this was it. And the disciples sensed the importance of Jesus' message here. If this, the central fiber of the universe, is going to get pulled, then what else could possibly last? And Jesus confirms their suspicions because he says that before that central fiber of the universe gets pulled, the threads at the, ta at the edge of the tapestry of the universe are also going to start to unravel. Nations will rise against nation. Kingdoms will fall. Food supplies, things we just take for granted, are going to dry up. The ground beneath our feet that we just assume is not going to move will betray us. Things that, you know, we just see every day, the sun rising in the east and setting in the west, that's going to have its last time. That finally the sun, the moon, and the stars are going to take their bow and head off the stage of history. And the disciples must be thinking, if all that's going to happen, then on what can we possibly stand? And Jesus points his disciples, he points his followers, he points his church beyond all the apparent stability of the present. He points them beyond all the scary chaos of the future, and he directs their vision to the only kingdom that's going to last forever. And this was something that the early Christians took very seriously. They knew that their hope could only be in one kingdom. And this was often a costly thing for them. Because they were taken before governors, and they were taken before kings. And they were asked things like, why won't you sacrifice to the emperor? You see, this is a problem because that means you're a bad citizen. That means you don't integrate fully into our system here. 
And we can do this one of two ways. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. Now, the easy way is we have some incense here. We can give that to you. You offer that as a sacrifice to the emperor. And you curse this Christ who you say you owe more loyalty to than the emperor. And that'll prove you're a good citizen. We'll let you go. You can reintegrate into the comfort, the security, and the stability that our empire offers. But there's another option. If you don't do that, we can make you wish you did. Because we can torture you. We can kill you. And the Christian's response repeatedly confused the governors and the kings. Because they would turn down this seemingly no-brainer deal. They would say no. And the governors and the kings did not understand because they couldn't see the system that these Christians were investing in. They couldn't see the kingdom in which they set their hope. Now, when some people hear this, they think, man, if this is what Christians are like, they must be so heavenly-minded that they're just no earthly good. And yet the point in all this isn't that Christians don't invest in the systems of the present, but rather that when they do invest in the systems of the present, they see those investments ultimately as investments in the kingdom of our God. The investments that they make here aren't made in and of themselves, but they're made under the condition of being investments in the kingdom of God. I heard the story of a woman named Maggie a few weeks ago. She was in the East African country of Burundi, and she was in the midst of tribal warfare and warfare between the government and rebels. And she tells her testimony, and every time she begins it like this. She says the warfare had come to her area and she was stripped naked, she was tied to a chair, and she was forced to witness the execution of 72 people before her eyes. And the executioners moved on. And when they did, she looked around for survivors, and she found 25 children, and she started to take care of them, and she started an orphanage. And she became so successful at this the, that the word went around and people started bringing to her more children and more children until she had thousands of children in her care. And then it got so successful that occasionally a child would ask their parents, when are you going to die so that I can go live in the orphanage? And so she realized that this was slightly problematic, so she integrated the children into homes as much as possible. But there were deeper issues she had to deal with as well because she saw that there was a real problem with the way people treated dead bodies because they would just kill people and they'd take their bodies and they'd fling them around like they're trash or they're dolls. And she realized, I have to stop this because this is what causes people to care so little for the living. So there was this one area where there was a mass grave that the government would use. It would go on raids and it would kill rebels or I don't know how discriminate the killing was, but it would take those bodies and it would fling them into this mass grave. And Maggie purchased that land and she cleansed it and she purged it. And she put a pool there where her orphans could swim. And she built a wall next to it so that the government couldn't simply go on raids in the area. There was also a hill that she purchased because the government was launching artillery from there to hit its enemies. And instead, she built a hospital where she cared for the wounded. There was also an area where she built a theater 
and she allowed even the soldiers to come and watch movies with the children. But the rule was the soldiers had to leave their guns, their AK-47s, at the door. And this was a woman who was investing in a kingdom of peace in the midst of a kingdom of warfare. Now because of movements like that, and because of certain things she said, she was elevated on the hit list of the president of the country. And when he finally got an illegal third term, she was elevated to such a high point that she couldn't live there anymore. It just wasn't safe and she had to flee. And you have to think, what is up with that president? How could he not see that this woman had to be one of his best citizens, offering some of the best services that his citizens needed? And yet it's a sobering reminder that the kings and the governors of this world simply sometimes don't see the kingdom in which we're investing. They don't necessarily have the ability to understand. But Maggie didn't mind. Now, it wasn't easy at all. She did have to flee. She did deal with just constant threats and depression even. But as we hear these stories of ancient and modern Christians who had to put up with this resistance from the world, you have to ask yourself, how? How in the world could they or could we do this sort of thing? How could we invest in a kingdom that we can't see, that entails such cost, that forces us sometimes to say no to the comfort and the ease of this world? And Jesus answers that question for us today in this passage. Because he says, when you're taken before governors, when you're taken before kings, the words you speak, the resources that you pour out, they're not your own. But they come from the Holy Spirit. It's only the Holy Spirit who's going to give us the courage, the strength, the resources to be able to do any of this. So as we close today, I'd like to invite us to do two things. On the one hand, to ask God to reveal to us the ways in which we haven't invested in his kingdom. The ways in which we're not currently doing that and are investing only in the present moment. But in addition to that, I invite us to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit because it's not simply enough to know where we're failing but we need to have the power to be able to follow our God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are the one who opens our eyes to see your kingdom. You are the one who opens our hearts to desire it. And we pray that you would move in us today that we may desire it above all else that we may be able to refuse the offers that are easy in the present that would conflict with investing in your kingdom. We pray that you would strengthen us to follow you and that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit, we pray, that we may show your son to the world and show them that there is a kingdom that is unshakable, where there is life and joy and peace. In Christ's name, amen.